Hi, it's Melinda. It's your good pal, EJ. And we're gone what? I guess? Dusty Pages. <laughs> Dusty Pages. To show about uh, books and where to find them. Well, sort of. We don't really tell you where to find them, do we? No. <laughs> to show about books and how to read them. <laughs> That's more accurate, yeah. The show where we read a book. More or less. <laughs> what do we got this week on the docket? See, now that was a clever use of phrase because we our book this week is called Punctuation for Shorthand Reporters. It's like for court reporters. Wow. It's like uh, a little guidebook for people who write in shorthand how to do punctuation. I guess so. It's like a little brown crocodile skin pattern. Well. Crocodile leather. crocodile. What you call that? No, I would call it pebbled leather. Pebbled leather. I don't know if it's leather. Is no, it? it's fake. But It's fake. It's a brown it's little book. It's dark brown with gold light. Gold. Uh, Inlay. Yeah. Punctuation for Shorthand Reporters by the National Shorthand Reporters Association. And there's a little picture of their of their <laughs> logo, and it's a hand with a pencil, and the hand has wings on it, because I guess it's fast. Right. And I think, is that a stenographer machine? Oh, it is. It's like writing it's on those, a stenographer machine. One of those steno typewriters with the, it's like got like two keys. <laughs> it's like a how really tiny piano. No one knows how it works. <laughs> I have no idea how shorthand works. So when I got this book, I was hoping it was how to do shorthand. Mm. Um, but no, it focuses only on how to do punctuation. That's an which important is part. Kind of funny probably. because you'd think with shorthand that you just like wouldn't even mm. bother. But I guess uh, especially if you're doing really strict stuff like court reporting, mm. you have to um, be very specific about your punctuation. As we all know, punctuation can change. They go sentence. into some examples in this book. I looked ahead. <gasps> you looked ahead. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Let's see. So the first, uh, the first page says punctuation for shorthand reporters by Nathaniel Weiss. Thank you, Nathaniel. And the National Shorthand Reporters Association. The next page says copyright 1971. Oh, National yeah. Shorthand Reporters Association. This book looks very 1971. It, does. it looks like it would be on someone's coffee table. No, no, no. Whilst learning punctuation for no, shorthand reporting. You'd find this um, in like the the law offices of Bimbley and Boombly and their <laughs> and their um like assistant has this on her desk. Right. And there's also right under the copyright, there's a little handwritten note. It's not written in shorthand. It's not written in shorthand. <laughs> it's written in regular hand. And it says write Three sentences for each rule in book due Thursday. Oh, no. EJ, we have an assignment. Oh, no. I forgot due to Thursday. study. I forgot to do my homework. <laughs> we only have a few days to get it done. Uh-oh. Where are we going to turn it in? <laughs> I guess to... Oh, uh, here. To the National Shorthand Reporters Association. Yes. 118 Park Street, Southeast Vienna. Virginia. Virginia. 22180. All That's right. That's going to be a tough one. Gonna have to we have to finish it. this today so that we can send it. Okay. All right. Let's get down to business. The foreword. <laughs> Punctuation presents special problems for the shorthand reporter, chiefly because speech is more spontaneous and less well organized than writing. You True. said it. 
True. If you, you ever had to edit a podcast, you would know that. Mm. The standard text <laughs> on punctuation would never suggest the punctuation for some of the sentences that the reporter encounters every day. Instead, they would say, recast the sentence. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we know how that goes. The reporter <laughs> is often not in a position to alter any words. In such cases, he must punctuate what he has in front of him. Even where the speaker has expressed himself well, the mere fact of punctuating someone else's words rather than one's own tends to present certain problems. Hence, a book on punctuation for reporters. Hence why this book exists. This book then deals with the punctuation of spoken English as transcribed by the reporter. It assumes a knowledge by the reader of the basic rules of punctuation for written English and applies them to the special problems encountered by the shorthand reporter in his transcripts. It also covers paragraphing and some other aspects of transcript style. It is intended as a text for the student reporter and as a reference work for the practicing reporter. The chapters may be read in any order desired. Ooh, we well, can skip all around? No, I'm going to read them in order because I am the student uh, reporter. <laughs> That's right. We're not advanced yet. No. Okay. Uh, here's the contents. Just real quick, there seems to be uh, five chapters just about commas. <laughs> commas are very important. Then we've got a colon, we've got dashes, question marks, and paragraphing. See, I'm excited because um, you learn grammar, right? I do. <laughs> and you learn spelling. Mm -hmm. There's not much focus on punctuation in school. Like, there's a little bit of focus, like, mm. what not to do, right? Mm. But it doesn't really tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. You gotta use a semicolon before you say however. You say... I like what, this. Like always? I like this pie. However, I think that it could be more chocolate. I don't think that's a rule. It's true. You say because because that's a different sentence. However, I think it could be more chocolatey. So you would use a semicolon. I now, learned that in AP Lit. Okay, that might be true. But here's the thing: you can't be spouting off rules okay. that this book doesn't corroborate. Okay, we'll see if it gets there. <laughs> okay, chapter one: A shorthand reporter's approach to punctuation. When words are spoken at a trial, hearing, conference, or meeting, the speaker uses various devices, consciously or unconsciously, to clarify his meaning. Some of those devices are the rise, at, the rise and fall in pitch of the speaker's voice, the pauses between words, the abruptness with which he breaks off a word, or the smoothness with which he follows one word with another. The accent or emphasis he gives to certain words or syllables, the gestures of the speaker, the directions of his glance, even the expressions on his face. Yeah, how are you going to write all that down? Mm, you're going to need this book. Someone's underlined this part. Yeah, since the main function of punctuation is to separate, the question arises, should punctuation be placed among the typewritten words of the transcript at just those points where the speaker had paused in his delivery? The answer is an emphatic no. <sighs> No exclamation point. <laughs> That's punctuation. That's punctuation. The pauses of a speaker do not always coincide with the punctuation in the typewritten words. So they give some examples of what? Punctuation? Um, <laughs> of where punctuation may or may not be needed, I guess. In the following sentence, the speaker might logically pause for the benefit of his listeners at any of the separation marks indicated, and yet nowhere in the typewritten sentence should we put so much as a comma. This is the sentence. There is a great deal to be said, pause, for approaching the problem of punctuation, pause, in such a way, pause, that the ultimate criterion will be, pause, whether the reader is in the best possible position, pause, to understand the meaning of a sentence, pause, the very first time he reads it. 
That's a long sentence. That's some run-on sentence, So, but it's okay I mean, to talk that to way, but you wouldn't write that way. Right, but if you're writing would, that when someone's in court. Yeah, then they might just be an idiot like this, <laughs> and they might go run on. You say, there's a great deal to be said for approaching the problem of punctuation in it's such a way that... The, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, this, here's a second example. Senator Charles H. Percy led a bipartisan group of 23 senators today in support of a resolution calling on President Johnson to make a more determined effort to obtain greater Asian military support for the war in Vietnam. Whew. On the other hand, punctuation must sometimes be used even when their speaker has not paused. Here, for example, are two attorneys engaged in a rapid-fire exchange. Here, I'll be Mr. Smith and you be Mr. Brown. Okay. My opponent, I believe, is mistaken. No, sir, I am not. So, that was it. So they put, <laughs> although neither paused during those remarks, the commas are necessary. So they had commas where they said, my opponent, comma, I believe, comma, is mistaken. And no, comma, sir, comma, I am not. Uh, simply because the rules of punctuation require the words to be separated by commas at those points, regardless of how they were spoken. True. So, this is, like, how punctuation works? <laughs> well, it's just saying that this, the spoken word can have pauses, and it doesn't mean that there's going to be mm. punctuation, or they can not have pauses, and you might still need punctuation. Mm. That's pretty useful advice for me, a court reporter. Okay, period to comma. Suppose, for example, an attorney tells the court, at his examination before trial, the plaintiff answered many questions concerning his transactions with the defendant in this matter. The pitch of his voice drops sharply. There is a brief pause. The reporter puts a period in his notes. Then the attorney adds, in certain cases, saying that he didn't remember. Obviously, that period in the notes will become a comma in the transcript. But the period was not inserted in vain. On the contrary, it served the valuable purpose of alerting the reporter to the fact that there might be some punctuation in the transcript at that point, since the speaker's voice had dropped sufficiently to suggest the end of a sentence. Okay, so while you're typing, right, you might... No, writing. Writing shorthand while you're transcribing? Yeah, but they also are using the smogophone machine. Oh, I guess they are, aren't they? So while you're typing or writing... You can put a period and then just leave it there, because you'll know. You'll know. Comma to period. An attorney begins a request to the court with these words. I would like to make a motion, unless the reporter feels on the spur of the moment from the attorney's intonation of motion, and perhaps from the brevity of the pause immediately after it, that the attorney intended a comma just after motion and inserts one in his notes. The attorney then continues with no further pauses. Unless there is some objection, I would prefer not to make it in the presence of the jury. It is highly probable that the pitch of the attorney's voice did not descend far enough at motion for the reporter to hear unmistakably a period instead of a comma. Perhaps, too, the attorney did not pause long enough just after motion. In any event, on transcribing his notes, the reporter will realize that the speaker had intended a period and not a comma just after motion, and he will accordingly change the comma to a period. Yep, makes sense. The dangling phrase. Sometimes a speaker will seem to leave a phrase dangling between two sentences because he does not signal clearly enough to which sentence the phrase belongs. This occurs typically when he does not drop the pitch of his voice far enough for the reporter to hear unmistakably a period instead of a comma. Suppose, for instance, that in the last quote, the speaker had paused appreciably after objection, but had not dropped the pitch of his voice when saying objection, so that the reporter very properly punctuated his notes as follows. I would like to make a motion, comma, unless there is some objection, comma, I would prefer to make it in the presence of the jury. 
The reporter's only clue here to the proper punctuation is his knowledge that it is probably not the making of the motion that might be objected to, but rather the making of the motion in the presence of the jury. He would therefore put a period after motion. Wow. That's pretty... That's, you got to be smart, I guess, to be a court reporter. you got to know <laughs> what someone's well, meaning. And it's just going like super in-depth into... Things that I guess would seem obvious, but maybe aren't so obvious when you're in the moment transcribing what someone's mm. saying. Chapter 2, The Equalizing Comma. Some commas completely change the meaning of a sentence. Some are only optional, and between the two extremes lie the vast majority of commas, which make the meaning clear at first glance with varying degrees of importance. The Million Dollar Comma. When Congress passed the Tariff Act of 1872, it intended to exempt from the tariff fruit plants comma, tropical and semi-tropical. Instead, it inadvertently exempted fruit, comma, plants, comma, tropical and semi-tropical. For two years, until Congress amended the act, millions of dollars worth of fruit came into this country duty-free from the Mediterranean, the Caribbean, and Latin America. The inadvertent comma cost the government many thousands of dollars in revenue. Like a million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> like a thousand thousand dollars? <laughs> That is a pretty bad mistake, though. Yeah. Fruit, comma, plants instead of fruit plants. I've been, I've been saying for forever that the Oxford comma, you got to use it, because then when you don't, you know that you intended not to. Right, but here they used too many Oxford commas. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> hmm. Well, they just used it wrong. Okay, so then we've got exercises, and we're supposed to pick the correct usage of comma. So... Mm. Question, what courses were you taking at that time in night school? Answer, I was taking English history and economics, or I was taking English, comma, history, comma, and economics. Mm, that's a good one, because what if you were taking English history and English economics? What did you have for dinner that evening? I had chicken salad and rice, or I had chicken, comma, salad, comma, and rice. That's another thing where if you were writing it, you would recast the sentence like we learned earlier. <laughs> recast it. But you can't do that in court because I think that's a felony if you if you manipulate right. the court record. Right. You can't change the words. You can only change the punctuation. Doctor, would you say that the spleen is essential to life? Wrong is no one can live without a spleen. Right is no one can live without a spleen. <laughs> yep. Those have different meanings. Those do have different meanings, and you got to make sure you get the right one. No. One can live without a spleen. <laughs> There's a lot of examples, because you gotta, you got to be sure that you get it. Yeah. There's 35 examples. <laughs> but I think we'll we'll leave it there. Yeah, we, we get it. We'll move on to chapter three, the throwback comma. The comma we describe in this article, like the equalizing comma, breaks up the close relationship between the words it separates. Unlike the equalizing comma, however, it does not equalize the two parts thus created. Instead, it shows that the words following the comma apply to words that had appeared some distance before in the sentence. So, the wrong way is the defense attorney argued against the plaintiff's motion asking for a dismissal of the complaint. The right way is the defense attorney argued against the plaintiff's motion, comma, asking for dismissal of the complaint. On reading the first version, when we reach the, worst, the word asking, our immediate impression is that the plaintiff's motion is asking for something. This leads us down a false trail from which we return only with some effort. <laughs> really, really leads mm. you astray there. Mm -hmm. 
By contrast, the comma in the second version separates motion from asking, thereby suggesting immediately the correct interpretation. The purpose of punctuation is to guide the reader to the intended meaning at first reading. Yeah, good point. Let's find a funny example. <laughs> Doesn't seem like there's anything funny, because everything is court documents. Yeah, this is a very serious book, no jokes allowed. <laughs> the awkward throwback comma. In the heat of proceedings, speakers will sometimes put a phrase in such an awkward place in the sentence that when the throwback comment is used, it disrupts the flow of the sentence and makes the misplaced modifier stand out like a sore thumb. Nevertheless, if the throwback comma will help avoid confusion on the part of the reader, it should be used even where it stresses the awkwardness of the phrasing because clarity is the first consideration in a transcript. For example, did the defendant ever discuss with you the subject of having children? Wrong. He asked me to have children before we were married. Right. He asked me to have children, comma, before we were married. Hmm. Wait, I don't get it. Because the first one, the first one you would interpret as saying the defendant asked me to have kids with him and then get married. The second one, he asked me to have children. Oh, he just did it before we were married. Yeah, he asked he, me before we were married. He didn't want to have children before we were married. I get it. Here's another one, so this would be wrong. Can you read what this says to me? And then the right version is, can you read what this says, comma, to me? So it's like, you know, you're speaking, and in the heat of the proceedings, in the heat of the moment, the judge <laughs> says, do you have any words? And then you say, I don't have any words to say to you right now. Mm. Wait, no, that's not no. right. <laughs> Curing the awkwardness. Although nothing can be done by means of punctuation alone, to cure the awkwardness of sentences like those in examples 7 to 14, there are some sentences in which the awkwardness can be cured by an additional comma. Uh, so this is wrong. The fire was put out before any damage was done by the fire department. That implies that the fire department was doing some damage, but... Right. Okay, then the next one... The fire was put out before any damage was done, comma, by the fire department. That one kind of makes sense, because the fire was put out by the fire department. Right. Then the right version is, the fire was put out, comma, before any damage was done, comma, by the fire department. So that one mm. really makes clear that the fire department put the fire out and it was before any damage was done. Right. That's very helpful. Because the dummy who said that sentence put their freeze in the middle. Yeah, because they <laughs> they should have they should have stopped themselves mid sentence and then reset it to make the the stenographer's life a right. little easier. That's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> we don't have podcast. we ain't got no awkward w words. <laughs> Yeah, we're never awkward. All of our phrases make perfect sense. You transcribe this, it would look like someone had written it. <laughs> it would look like a beautiful novel. Uh-huh. <laughs> Chapter four, the comma pair. Now this goes into, I think these are called appositives, right? Like when you say, uh, when you say, tell us, comma, doctor, what the treatment consisted of. Oh, yeah, direct mm -hmm. address. That's what they say that. That's what, that's what they, that's oh, what yeah. they word. Here's a positive. A positive. Double meaning. Double naming. The foreman of the jury, comma, Richard Rainier, comma, is absent. I always remember a positive because that's a funny word and I always forget what it is. But it's that. Sometimes people say stuff weird, like someone who should have said, did you say anything at the time you saw the policeman enter the premises? Might say, did you at the time you saw the policeman enter the premises say anything? And you gotta use your commas like parentheses. Mm, huh? Yeah. Maybe if I was transcribing that. I would just fudge it a little, because what's the harm? <laughs> I think uh, probably, like, that's illegal. 
Chapter five, the woe comma. Oh, that's fun. Woe in quotation marks. The woe comma is the reporter's way of telling the reader that a new thought is about to begin and that he should dig in his heels and not be misled into thinking that the previous <laughs> thought will continue beyond that point. Don't think that. <laughs> when you're reading it, you you might ha- say to yourself, hey, this thought is going to continue, <laughs> but you better not. Right. Pay attention. The judge castigated the jury, and the district attorney who had lost the case was satisfied. Whereas it should have been, the judge castigated the jury, comma, and the district attorney who had lost the case was satisfied. So the judge isn't castigating the jury and the district attorney. I don't understand. I don't get this one either. There's a lot of commas, and sometimes it's hard to, to figure out which comma you need. Oh, do you think it's woe, like when you woe a horse or whatever? Yeah, I think so. It's like, So it's stop. like, whoa, like, we're going to move on to another just sentence. Just stop here because it's going to get weird. When I left the patient who had been put in room 604 was bleeding. When I left? The- when I left, comma, hmm. the patient who had been put in room 604 was bleeding. In the real estate field, comma, when a man is buying, his interest is in the property. See, it sounds okay when you say it, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess when so, you but read it, it without a comma, it looks so wrong. In the real estate field, when a man is buying, his interest is in the property. That's how that should be. Mm. So I guess that's the point of transcribing is for the reader, not for the listener. What? Anyway. <laughs> Duh. Chapter six, the that comma. I don't like saying that. The, the that, the that comma. comma. The that comma. A frequently observed lapse in punctuation among high school and even college students is the so-called comma splice. The substitution of a comma for a period between two independent statements which are not connected by and, but, or any of the other Mm. coordinating conjunctions. Ooh, boy, howdy, I don't like this one. I think this is what I was talking about with however. If you use a comma and then you say however, whatever, that... Okay, you gotta stop saying that like it's true. It's true, I learned it from my AP lit. (laughs) Okay. AP stands for advanced punctuation. (laughs) So, wrong would be, the time is now 5 o'clock, comma, let us adjourn to tomorrow morning. And right is, the time is now 5 o'clock, period. Let us adjourn to tomorrow morning, period. Mm. (laughs) We done with them sentences. For the purposes of this book, we will assume that none of our readers are comma splicers. Mm, Thank you. Thank you, book. (laughs) Thank you for giving me some (laughs) self-respect. Ooh, they got some $10 words in here. In the extemporaneous speech that the reporter is always taking and transcribing, he sometimes encounters two consecutive, seemingly independent statements that may actually be grammatically connected by the understood repetition of the word that. The defendant denies that he was driving at a rapid rate of speed. He was careless. He was not obeying traffic signals. So that was wrong. Right is the defendant denies... That he was driving at a rapid rate of speed, comma, he was careless, comma, he was not obeying traffic signals. Meaning that the defendant denies that he was driving at a rapid rate of speed, comma, that he was careless, comma, that he was not obeying, what? Yeah, they're saying that the commas imply the word that. Oh, okay. I see. That's why it's called the that comma. (laughs) The that comma. The semicolon is my favorite colon. There are three basic punctuation marks, the period, the question mark, and the comma. Who decided that? Uh, the National Hand, uh, Shorthand... <laughs> National of, Shorthand what? Reporters Association. <laughs> That's what they said. Okay. The reporter should use them wherever they can help clarify the meaning of the speaker's words. Only at points where they are inadequate to that task should he consider using any of the other mm. punctuation marks. 
The semicolon stands midway between a comma and a period. It has the characteristics of a strong comma and a weak period. Let's first consider it. We all know it. about weak periods. <laughs> Let's first consider it as a strong comma. Question, what countries did you visit while assembling material for your book? Answer, Malaya, Siam, Afghanistan, and India. So this example, so they say, what countries did you visit while assembling material for your book? And then just using regular commas, they say, Malaya, Siam, Afghanistan, and India. And then they ask, what cities did you visit in those countries? And then this one, using regular commas, says, Kuala Lumpur, Malaya, Bangkok, Siam, Campbell, Afghanistan, and mm -hmm. Calcutta, India. But that's not very it's clear. Too many commas. Too many commas. So you say, so, so you would use Kuala Lumpur, comma, Malaya, semicolon, Bangkok, mm. Siam, semicolon, Kabul, Afghanistan, semicolon, and Calcutta, India. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So it's uh, uh, using the semicolon to break up a list of things that already have commas in yeah. them. Yeah. Sometimes you use colons for lists. Hmm. Uh, I think I you use, we'll a, use a colon for starting a list. Right. I don't think you use it to separate. Not within a list. Yeah. The semicolon as a weak period. The most frequent use of the semicolon as a weak period in reporters' transcripts. Oh, wait, hold on. This this part's, they marked out this part because it's really important. So you got to read it. Okay. In preparing affidavits and stipulations, attorneys generally use semicolons and often paragraph as well between statements beginning with that. This practice tends to accustom reporters and others to seeing semicolons between statements beginning with that. We have no quarrel with anyone who feels more comfortable with semicolons instead of commas. We merely wish to point out that commas are sufficient to make the meaning clear and that commas are therefore preferable in accordance with the opening paragraph of this article. They don't want to quarrel with us. Thank you. <laughs> Use a semicolon if you want. If you but want it ain't right. fancy. The semicolon is a weak period. The most frequent use of the semicolon is a weak period in reporters' transcripts occurs before, is that right, is that correct, is that true, is mm. that so, or any of their negative versions. That makes sense. Isn't that right, etc. Question, though nurses work long hours, semicolon, is that right? When a question consists of more than one statement followed by, is that right, the speaker's intention should determine whether the first statement should be followed by a period or a semicolon. Mm. Ooh, there's a lot of semicolon examples. <laughs> Yes and no. Although the next subject is a rather narrow one, it comes up frequently and is part of a much general, much more general subject. When yes or no begins a sentence and is followed immediately by a punctuation mark, other than a question mark, we recommend that the punctuation mark be either a comma or a period, but never a semicolon. Wow. When do we use a comma and when a period? If the thought that follows merely repeats the pure meaning of yes or of no, then the yes or the no should be followed by a comma. If the thought that follows adds something to the pure meaning of yes or of no, then the yes or the no should be followed by a period. In the next two examples, notice how the identical answer changes its punctuation in accordance with the meaning of yes or of no in the answer. So the question is, did the doctor examine your chest with a stethoscope? Wrong is yes, period, he used a stethoscope. Right is yes, comma, he used a stethoscope. So you're just, you're elaborating on the yes or the right. no. So then the next question is, did the doctor examine your chest? The wrong would be, yes, comma, he used a stethoscope. Right would be, yes, period, he used a stethoscope, because you're adding right. information. That's right. interesting. That's an interesting little thing <laughs> that I didn't think I knew about. And now you know how to mark it in your transcript. Uh, did you owe him $5,000 at that time? EJ, did you? No, comma, I didn't. Wait, no. Yeah, no, that's right. No, comma, I didn't. Do you admit that you owed him $5,000 at that time? 
I don't admit nothing. <laughs> That's not what it says. No. no, period. I didn't. Do you admit that oh, you Oh, I him? see. Oh, yeah. Cause so I'm saying no. No, I don't admit I it. I don't admit, and I didn't owe him $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that English was so weird? <laughs> was so particular? <laughs> Get it together. The, chapter eight. The chapter colon. eight. The colon. I've been waiting for this one. Eight kind of looks like a colon. If you look, uh, the little uh, dots inside yeah. the eight could be a colon. Right. Do you think they did that on purpose? Most certainly. The colon is a sign of anticipation or introduction pointing to what is to follow. It is used where it can help clarify the meaning of the words through its peculiar ability to convey the feelings of anticipation or introduction. It is used most predictably in reporters' transcripts to designate the speakers in colloquy what? Mm. and the questioners in Q&A, as well as at the end of the form for swearing in a witness. John Smith, comma, being duly sworn in, comma, testified as follows, colon, direct examination by Mr. Quentin, colon. Wow, it's hard to read, and they don't teach you that in school when, yeah. when you're learning to read. They don't tell you to say, say the, the punctuation. punctuation. Ooh, this has, ooh, there's a Bible... Uh, reference down here someone has written in blue ink genesis 4 2 there's a star with a nine under it and it says to wit colon volume oh. plus page 26 colon three i think she's just saying you can use colons in that way like genesis 4 colon 2 hmm. alexa what's genesis chapter 4 verse 2 according to the king james bible genesis 4 2 reads and she again bare his brother abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Hmm. A tiller. <laughs> Poignant. And, and Cain was a keeper of sheep, comma, and Abel, what, I forgot what it was. Anyway, plenty to learn. So much to learn, but so little time. <laughs> the colon before a series. That's what we were talking about. Mm, right. Among other things, the colon is used to introduce a series, even in the same sentence. Doctor, what types of permanent teeth are there? <laughs> the following are the permanent teeth in the adult. Colon, molars, comma, incisors, comma, bicuspids, comma, and the canines. It is possible to give the second part of that answer first, and then the first part slightly modified. In such a case, the dash may be used instead of the colon. Both of the following examples are therefore correct. Doctor, what types of permanent teeth are there? <laughs> Molars, comma, incisors, comma, bicuspids, comma, and canines, colon. These are the permanent teeth in the adult. That sounds like a song. I know. <laughs> Molars, incisors, bicuspids, and canines. These, These are, are the, the permanent, permanent teeth in, in the, the adult. adult. <laughs> um, or you could say molars, uh, comma, incisors, comma, bicuspids, comma, and canines, dash. These are the permanent teeth in the adult. Now, here is the thing. Uh -huh. I use dashes all the time. I never notes. use them because I never know when the right time to use them is. <laughs> well, I just like them. They're like a very... Um, Automatopoeic, but the, but, but the looking at version. Because like you look at it and you're like, oh, got to stop. Right. Stop talking right. right there. Well, that's the thing. I guess what they were kind of saying earlier about how you can just use a comma or a period and figure it out later when you when you make a pause. To me, like whenever I hear a pause, I put a dash or like if I know something's someone's about to expand on something, I put a dash. I don't know. But I mean, know, I know that's you know. probably not right. Yeah. There's only three punctuation marks that you ever <laughs> need to use the period, the question mark and right. a comma. I should only use a dash when listing types of teeth. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's one. So. Like introducing a sentence, so Mr. Smith says, So that the record will be clear, comma, I discussed the case with the witness this morning. 
but it'd probably be better to say, so that the record will be clear, colon, I discussed the case with the witness this morning. Mm. Yeah. Did your sister sign this application? May I see it, sir? Without looking, colon, did your sister sign this application? How would I know? <laughs> I wasn't there. Then how do you explain... We're, that's not in this book. <laughs> no. This is going to turn into a court drama. We're a court drama podcast now. When to capitalize? Note the capital letter after the colon in the last two examples. Oh, I didn't read oh. those examples. That was used because the colon introduced two complete sentences instead of the usual single sentence. Where a colon introduces a single sentence, although it is optional whether to capitalize the first word of that sentence, we think it is simpler not to capitalize. Hmm. Where a colon introduces not a complete sentence, but a phrase or a sentence fragment, the first letter should not be capitalized unless there are other reasons for capitalizing it. Another example of a colon introducing two sentences instead of the usual single sentence so that a capital letter follows the colon. 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 Mr. Da <laughs> Mr. Davis, colon. If your honor pleases, comma, for the sake of completeness, colon, this morning Mr. Albert selected and marked two portions of the filed copy of the applications, period. I would like to offer these as well, period. Wait, oh. So what am I doing? That was a little punctuation. Mr. Day. Oh. If your honor pleases. So he's just like prefacing. Oh, oh, oh. If your honor pleases, for the sake of completeness, colon. And then he has two sentences yeah, that relate two, to that. Two so then, So then it's... You capitalize each sentence. Yeah. That makes sense. Just to make it look pretty. Unspoken words anywhere. Not only after an introductory phrase, but anywhere in a sentence, the colon can suggest that some words were intended by the speaker, but not spoken. Often the missing words are, that is. Doctor, please give us the relevant details of your visit to the plaintiff on January 1st, 1967, colon. His complaints, your examination, your findings, and the diagnosis. So I guess that could be the colon you could replace with. That is his complaints, mm -hmm. your examination to find. Were you the attorney for the claimant in one lawsuit? I was the co-attorney. Please define that term while you are at it, colon, co-attorney. <laughs> Wait, that's so weird. <laughs> Please define that term while you are at it, co-attorney. Yeah, okay. Oh, like that is. That is. Co-attorney. Co yeah. Ooh. Gotta read the underlined part. Someone underlined, sometimes a speaker will make a statement and then add a question like, is that what you asked? Or is that an accurate statement? Or would you say that is so? If a period were placed between the statement and the question immediately following, the statement might be interpreted as the speaker's own declaration, to which the question is then added, rather than as merely the subject of the question immediately following. If a colon is placed instead between the statement and the question, the statement will be correctly interpreted as merely an introduction to the question and nothing more. Hmm. Some of these underlined sections are very, very important. Here's another one. <laughs> they're not very because poignant. phrases like, is that right? Is that correct? And is that so? are so brief and so common that they're readily recognizable as mere tales converting statements into questions, almost as though there were so many question marks instead of phrases. In examples 44 to 51, on the other hand, the corresponding questions are longer, fuller, and less familiar, and the colon, as a sign of anticipation, ensures that the reader will consider the statement as being merely preliminary to the question that follows immediately after. There are a lot of colon examples. There's <laughs> 71 colon examples. So many colons. That's a large intestine. <laughs> a caveat. Having covered the uses of the colon in reporters' transcripts, let us sound a warning similar to that given by the judge to the jury in a negligence case to the effect that the mere fact that he is charging them on the law of damages does not mean that they must find in damages for the plaintiff. By all means, become colon conscious, but do not become <laughs> overeager to colonize any uh, sentence get it. that offers the slightest excuse for it. 
Restraint is a cardinal virtue in punctuation as elsewhere. Hmm. Chapter 9, The Dash of Interruption. Mm, this is my favorite punctuation. We love dashes. I love a dash. You, you should be called Mrs. Dash. <laughs> Perhaps the most interesting of the other punctuation marks is the dash. I agree. <laughs> In reporters' transcripts, where sentences are often interrupted, its chief function is to indicate a break in thought. Whether that is caused by one speaker's interrupting another in mid-sentence, or by a speaker interrupting himself as he changes his mind in mid-sentence. That's me. I do that all mm. the time. The first type of interruption is simply illustrated as follows. Question. What did you say to the... Dash. Mr. Blockett. I object to that as hearsay. Objection. We've been playing Phoenix right. <laughs> and it is... This good. book is the companion to... Phoenix Wright. This right. is the manual. <laughs> yeah, in Phoenix Wright, they often make you choose which, which punctuation. punctuation. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a weird mini game. Yeah. Self-interruption. I do that all the time. Tell us what you noticed about the boy. I saw him standing near the mailbox, which was about... Dash. Incidentally, the boy was about 10 years old. I don't remember asking you... <laughs> how old the boy. That, that was really right in the middle of a, of mm -hmm. a thought. The elusive dash. In every example so far, the choice has been between a dash on one hand and a comma or period on the other. But a break in thought may be so elusive on first hearing that the reporter might have recognized no punctuation at all at the point of the break in thought. Question. Did the defendant give you the money the following evening? I don't recall whether he gave me the money the following day. I don't recall whether it was the daytime or the evening, but it was sometime the following day. If the reporter did not hear a break in the witness's voice in the course of the answer, he would be puzzled at first on transcribing it. He would soon realize that it would make sense without the first four words, I don't recall whether. And he would further realize that those four words might constitute a false start. That realization would be supported by the fact that the very next sentence begins with the same four words, showing that they had first appeared prematurely as a false start mm. at the beginning of the answer. For the first sentence of that answer, then, the correct punctuation is, I don't recall whether... Dash, he gave me the money the following day. I don't recall whether he gave me the money the following day. <laughs> yeah, that's really confusing. I don't recall whether it was in the daytime or the evening. <laughs> a final word. There are times when a speaker's voice breaks off. He hesitates. There's a pause. And then he continues, mm. but without any break in thought. In other words, there is a break in the speed with which the words are uttered, but not in their meaning. Since the primary value of punctuation is in clarifying the meaning of speech, and since a dash suggests a break in thought so strongly, the reader would tend to be confused where a dash is used to show not a break in thought, but hesitation in speech. Therefore, when confronted with such a situation, resist the temptation to make a dash for it. <laughs> Good one! Bring in the jokes! <laughs> What is that, like, the second joke in here? It's pretty good. The first one was colonized. <laughs> I did like that one. Chapter 10, The Dash of Resumption. <laughs> oh, so this is when you use dashes to show that someone started a sentence, someone interrupted them, and then they finished mm. their sentence. So, like, question, did you give those answers to those questions? If you were reading them from the transcript... Never mind the if. I presume that I did. <laughs> Did you ask her what happened? I say now, and I said before, that Can't I, I get don't a straightforward know. answer. <laughs> That's Man, fun. that would be really hard to transcribe, uh -huh. wouldn't it? Yeah. That's pretty fun. Is it true that you never spoke to him? It's true. What is that? 
I did have a conversation with him. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish, goddammit. <laughs> you changed one of the figures when you copied the list? Yes. Outside of that. Outside of that, nothing. There is no difference in the figures from one list to the next. That's correct. All right. Glad <laughs> that we said is correct. <laughs> Example 14 is circled, and they wrote last one next to it. <laughs> Thank goodness it's the last one. <laughs> This is a short chapter. It's less than two pages. Yeah. Uh, summary. The dash is useful not only for showing the interruption of a sentence, but also for showing the resumption of a sentence. Therefore, during the proceedings, put dashes in your notes whenever you feel a speaker is resuming a sentence. Upon transcribing, be alert to recognize the point at which a speaker resumes a previously interrupted sentence. Chapter 11. Bankruptcy. No. What? <laughs> you know, chapter 11, bankruptcy. Anyway. What are you talking about? You know about? when someone's like, they filed for chapter 11. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but from now on, filing for chapter 11 will mean filing for the dash pair. Because that's the name of this chapter. At the end of the first chapter on the dash, at page 35, we showed how the speaker will sometimes insert one complete thought bodily into another. What? They'll so, insert a thought bodily into oh, another. So, so the dashes are required to set off the inserted thought. We oh. were so busy, Dash, the salesman will correct me if I'm wrong, Dash, that we worked 15 hours a day. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Chapter 12, the question mark. A question takes a question mark at the end, and a statement takes a period. Hmm. What more is there to say? Yeah. Well, guess the book's over. Guess the book's <laughs> over. And all that in the beginning was not needed. Ah, but hear this part. Oh, okay. So we thought until we looked more carefully into the matter and were surprised at the number of problems associated with the question mark. <sighs> Let's begin at the beginning. The word question has varied meanings. From the grammatical point of view with which we are here concerned. That is such a strange way to say that. <laughs> it means an interrogative sentence. How do you plead? What is your name? In the broader sense, it can mean an issue. Thus, a judge might say... The only question before me is one of jurisdiction. In a reporter's transcript, it usually designates the questioner's words following the letter Q. What? Oh, like in the actual transcript. Even when those... I thought, I thought he meant they say, the, uh -huh. they say the letter Q. <laughs> Even when those words constitute a command or a statement. We will call such a question Q. Any Q may be phrased as any of the three types of sentence. Interrogative, imperative, a command or request, or declarative, a statement. Thus, the following three cues mean approximately the same thing. Mm. Q, what is your name? Q, please state your name. Q, I ask you to state your name. Mm. But only the first one used a question mark. That's interesting. So I guess mm. in transcripts, that's just to keep track of like who's doing the who's doing the requesting and who's doing the answering. Right. I guess there are some like confusing, like when someone is quoting two questions, do you use question marks for both, right? The question should be... What duties did you perform at that time? Question mark. Not what was your status with the company? Question mark. Mm, that always trips me up. Not just that, but quotes in general. I guess quotes is further on. We're not there yet. Yeah. The beginning quote. Sometimes a question appears at the very beginning of a declarative sentence, usually in the form of a direct quote or an approximate direct quote. Both are followed by a question mark. And of course, at the end of the direct quote, the question mark is followed by the closing of the quote. So Q, did you did you give that answer to that question? Question mark is all I'm asking. Did you give that answer to that question? Is all I'm asking. It's that weird throwing, seem, a, throwing a, a weird, question mark in yeah, there. Yeah, it seems like a weird place to put that. But I guess. I guess did you, you have get a to. ticket for speeding? Was the question. Mm. That's weird. Yeah. I guess. But I guess you gotta. I guess you gotta. But I would probably put a comma there. 
I'd probably put it in quotes. Maybe put it in quotes and put the question mark inside mm. the quotes. But they said not to. They, that's what they said. That's what they said. The interrogative command. Politeness is the hallmark of the civilized speaker. Wait, is it interrogative? Inter- interrogative. Interrogative? Yeah. Alexa, what's interrogative? As an adjective, interrogative is usually defined as of relating you to... You was right. Alexa, word. stop. I told you I went to AP Lit. <laughs> EJ, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> Ours didn't cover interrogative. Interrogative? Mm-hmm. Sounds so weird. Okay, go ahead. Uh, what is more, it may score points for an attorney before a jury. Instead of saying, that's a lie, a polite attorney may say, my adversary is mistaken. Mm. Or, I believe that is a misstatement. That sounds so, like... Lawyery. Yeah. <laughs> when he is really hitting hard, he may say, your honor... That is an astonishing statement. <laughs> Some attorneys carry such indirectness to an extreme by using I would a great deal. Instead of I offer this letter in evidence, they will say I would offer this letter in evidence. <laughs> I would if I could. I would. Oh, will someone please let me offer this letter in evidence? <laughs> Another expression of politeness is the prefacing of a statement with may I say, may I say that. Mr. Quentin, my adversary tells me that he is not ready to proceed at this time. Mr. Blockett. Here, yeah, I'll be Mr. Quentin, you be Mr. Blockett. My adversary tells me that he is not ready at this time. May I say that I was ready to proceed with this case when it was first set to trial? Mr. Blockett was was not asking... (laughs) Mr. Blockett was not asking for permission to make his statement, because in the very process of seeming to ask for that permission, he was making the statement. May I say that? Is sheer politeness. We therefore use a period and not a question mark at the hmm. end. So question marks are not for politeness. <laughs> no. When you're being therefore interrogating. Mm, when you're being um, posturing, when you're when you're mm. being insincere, that's when you use periods. <laughs> Makes sense. Chapter thirteen quotation marks. What did the driver of the taxi cab say to you immediately after the accident? He said, "Quote: There is very little property damage." Unquote. The above answer illustrates a direct quote. An indirect quote would have been, he said that there was very little property Mm. damage. Should quotation marks be used to enclose direct quotes in reporters' transcripts? Some reporters do not use quotation marks for a direct quote, because at times they are not sure how far the quote extends. But there are practical methods of meeting that objection. Objection! (laughs) Both during... Hold it! (laughs) Take that! (laughs) Uh, No one's going to know what that means. Mm both during the taking of the proceedings and during their transcription. Not only convenient, sometimes necessary. It is not only to make it easier for the reader that the reporter supplies quotation marks in the transcript, sometimes they are necessary if the reader is to completely grasp the speaker's meaning. Question. At the end of 1960, did Mr. Potter tell you about the experience of his firm for that year? Yes. He came to me and said, this year we made $10,000. I can't give you the details right now. And that wasn't in quotes. Right. So I think was the last sentence quoted in examples three and four. So that that was example three. So we don't know if. Right. What's his name? We whoever. don't know if it was a quote. We don't know if he was saying, yes, he came to me and said, quote, this year we made $10,000. I can't give you the details right now, unquote. Right. Or if he just said we made $10,000 and then he's editorializing. I can't give you the details right now. Is there a quote at all? So far, we have considered situations where the reporter knows there is a quote, but is not sure where it ends, or less frequently, is not sure where it begins. But there are situations where he must ask, 
Is there a quote at all? <laughs> this problem arises typically because of a certain peculiarity of the English language, the possibility of omitting the word that before an indirect quote. Note the difference in meaning made by the quotation marks in the following two versions of the same question and answer. Q. Did you tell your cousin you understand that you will be obligated to help out? Yes. He looked into the matter and said, I can't do anything about it. Oh, see, okay. Or. Because that could be right. a quote, or it could just be, yep. he said, I can't do anything about it. Well, no, it could also, did you tell your cousin, quote, you understand that you will be obligated to help out, unquote. Yes. He looked into the matter and said, quote, I can't do anything about it. Right. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. So those are two different Those are two di very different. If the reporter on transcribing cannot decide between the two versions, he should omit the quotation marks but retain the comma. Hmm. Did you tell your cousin, comma, you understand that you will be obligated to help out, question mark? Yes. He looked into the matter and said, comma, I can't do anything about it. Do not quote unnecessarily. EJ. In the last example, we saw the great difference in meaning between did you tell him you understood and did you tell him, quote, you understand? Unquote. By contrast, the two versions of the answer in the following example are so close together in meaning that the reporter would seem at first glance to have the luxury of choosing whether or not to use quotation marks. Officer, did you ask the complainant whether the robber was armed? Yes. He said, quote, the man had a gun. Or, yes, period. He said the man had a gun. Hmm. Yeah, those are the same meaning. Those are the same. Although these two answers mean approximately the same thing, there is a practical distinction between them. The quotation marks mean that the complainant said exactly those words. The version without the quotation marks could be a paraphrase. If an issue were to arise later in the trial as to whether the complainant did or did not tell the officer in the same breath that it was a shotgun, for example, or that the robber was waving the gun, then an indirect quote here would correctly allow for the possibility that the officer is only summarizing the complainant's mm. statement, not giving a word-for-word -word quote. Yeah, fair enough. You shouldn't say that someone's quoting someone mm, if they're if not. Sure, yeah. What's that say? Yeah, there's a note at the bottom that says, Titles of articles, poems, paintings, short stories, trains, and aircraft ships. That's fun. Should be in quotes, I'm assuming, is what they're, what they're saying. Oh, I see. Oh. Yeah, so I guess they're writing their own little summary. Right. That's not mentioned at all in, in here. <laughs> this person is just like, oh, by the way, if you're writing the title of an article or a poem, put it in quotes. <laughs> Chapter 14, The Art of Paragraphing. Why paragraph? Why not let a speaker's words run on and on, if necessary, for page after page? I've been saying that for years. <laughs> Although the paragraph is not a punctuation mark, but a matter of leaving extra space between certain sentences, yeah, we know what a paragraph is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've you, You've seen my family's Facebook posts. <laughs> they could use this. I should send this book to them. It is the final member of the series, comma, semicolon, colon, and period. Each of those denotes a stronger break in thought than the previous one. The paragraph denotes the strongest break of all. It separates groups of sentences by topics so that the successive topics under discussion will stand out more clearly, making the transcript easier to read and to skim. The paragraphs in this one are, like, perfectly proportioned. Uh -huh. <laughs> they really paid attention mm -hmm. to them. Circumstances favoring paragraphing. Certain parts of a trial, when the entire outcome hangs in the balance, tend to be more momentous than others. 
At such times, there is a greater reason to paragraph in the transcript because each unit of thought tends to be more important in itself and therefore more deserving of a separate paragraph. Attorneys and judges often look at such portions of a transcript to see whether certain subjects were covered and how they were treated. So here it's like when someone's giving a list of important points, you'll want to separate each mm. of those. Yeah, we get it. We know it. We know how paragraphs work, don't we? <laughs> I have an idea hmm. of how they work. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I got an idea about paragraphs. <laughs> and then it gives a list of phrases that might begin a new paragraph. Like, they could be your cue to start a new paragraph. Mm. Like, nevertheless, in that case... In spite of, by the same token, <laughs> moreover... And then there's um some expressions like, ladies and gentlemen, if it please the court. If it please the court. I always thought that one was stupid, because like... Oh, I like it. Well, listen, it's cute, but whatever. But you go up to the Supreme Court and you're like, justices, what is it? It's like, <laughs> your, your honors. Your honors. Do you say your honors? Oh, no. What do you say? I, I just read some Supreme Court transcripts and I'm trying to remember. And they're like, J ladies and gentlemen, justices, may it please the court. And like, what are you pleasing? Why do you want to please them? And what does that mean? Because like, oh. and uh, I think it's just one of those polite old-fashioned things may to it say. please but like you don't say may it please melinda Hi, why how not? you doing oh why not <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> okay chapter 15 colloquy and q a i don't know what colloquy means does that just mean like talking alexa <laughs> what does colloquy mean colloquy is usually defined as a conversational exchange dialogue for more hmm. ask me hmm. to give you more definitions for colloquy. it's just a conversation okay oh so this is saying, how can you tell the difference? Once a court reporter has accurately indicated in his notes who said what during a trial, it would seem a very simple matter to indicate the speakers in the resulting transcript by following the style of a play. Before each speaker's remarks, just put his name in solid caps and then a colon. In reporters' transcripts, this style is called colloquy. But this method is not followed exclusively in transcripts because a good part of a trial is usually taken up with the questions and answers of testimony. These questions and answers are much easier to read if we use the designations Q and A instead of continually alternating the mm. names of the questioner and the witness. You know, it's like in Phoenix, right? When you're <laughs> when you're at the trial and uh, you just have some filler going on, but then when you get into the witness testimony, that's like its own section. Yeah, and you gotta press them, and you gotta find the inconsistencies, and you gotta and show the piece of evidence. Your evidence. It's real fun. I like that game. Follow us on Twitch to watch us stream Phoenix Wright. <laughs> we don't do that. Don't get your hopes up. Chapter 16. Parenthetical Remarks. Parenthetical remarks in a transcript are the reporter's own words enclosed in parentheses and recording some action. Brackets are more appropriate than parentheses for this purpose, but we use the parentheses because most typewriters do not have brackets. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Really? <laughs> All right. Those whose typewriters do have brackets should use them for the parenthetical <laughs> remarks in their transcripts. Those fancy boys Those who fancy have ass typewriters. brackets in their keyboards. Wow. <laughs> oh, right. This is before this keyboards. This is 1971, yeah. I was going to say, there was no keyboard. Just typewriters. These are the guiding principles. One, parenthetical remarks should be used as sparingly as possible in transcripts. When an action is made clear by the speaker's own words, no parenthetical remark should be used. But I want to comment on their clothes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do stage directions. 
Two parenthetical remarks should be as short as possible, consistent with clarity and good English usage. Okay. How much was your income tax payment in 1967? I think it was $4,000. Wrong would be how much? Right would be how much? Parentheses, handing a paper to the witness. (laughs) $6,000. Got him! (laughs) He's going to jail. (laughs) Sometimes you use it for, like, actions that happen, like... The check for $5,000 dated April 1st, 1970, was received in evidence and marked Plaintiff's Exhibit 1. Yeah, you get it. That's the end? There's no, like, wrap-up? There's no, um... Huh, just oh, some blank it just pages. ends. It ends so abruptly. <laughs> yeah, like, it's teaching us all about parentheses, and then the very last section... Is just an example of parentheses. <laughs> With your help, we will win this election. Parentheses. Applause. Although our, opponent, our opponents will probably help even more. Parentheses. Laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Notice that we do not put a period after a phrase within parentheses as opposed to a sentence in parentheses, which always takes a period before the close of the parentheses. And that's, and that's the, the end of, end the, of book. the book. That's the. I mean, that sums it up. That drives the point home for the entire book. Really. I mean, literally, there's like three blank pages, the, and then the, the book's best over. endings are inevitable but not predictable. And <laughs> well, you know, we this it. was this was kind of more of a like reference book, right? So I guess they. Didn't I guess feel they don't need, need like a wrap up, right? But I wanted to hear some more editorializing from Nathaniel Weiss. <laughs> I wanted to hear more about his thoughts on what counts as punctuation and not. And, right. And, and the order. The order of there's punctuation. There's a hierarchy of punctuation. There's a hierarchy. Brackets are on the very bottom. <laughs> Brackets are only for fancy people. So you can't include you can't them. Use them. No. What, so that's punctuation for shorthand reporters. I feel like I could be a shorthand reporter I now. know. I feel like, I. you know, I Get think... me a stenographer's uh, stenographer. <laughs> Get me a stenographer. Stenograph. Stenograph. What do you call those things? Is that it? Sten- I don't know. I think my mom knew shorthand. Yeah, she, she did. She used to work at a law She used office. to work at a law thing. And I wonder if she still knows She learned knows shorthand it. so she could, like, take dictations. Mm-hmm. I always thought it'd be a useful skill, but, like, nowadays you can just use a tape recorder and back then you probably could too but right uh yeah but it, but you need to see things written down sometimes sometimes i know it would be fun to learn shorthand i always thought when i was in college like taking notes uh-huh. it would be oh, useful be to useful. know shorthand but nowadays like i don't take notes anymore yeah i especially don't make transcripts of things and i can type faster than i can probably write in shorthand right <laughs> but still you know in court in court and such where we need records like that, this is important. And punctuation is important. Punctuation is important. What did we learn? What are your big takeaways from this book? What did I learn? Are you going to join the National Shorthand Reporters Association? I guess I should. I guess Wait, so. I didn't say what I learned. Um, yeah, what did we learn? I guess I didn't know what colloquy was. I knew what... No, I didn't. I guess I, I didn't either. I knew what colloquial was, but sure. I didn't know you could say colloquy. Colloquy. Um, colloquy. I guess I didn't know that uh, when you have... Let me find something. Hold on. <laughs> there, were, there were definitely some... Some interdasting little... Uh, some rules that are very specific to transcript writing that I don't think were that helpful <laughs> for my daily life. Sure. Like, like I can... I'm going to use a comma like whenever I want. <laughs> yeah, I'm just always going to use commas. <laughs> you can't stop me. Unless I'm going to use a semicolon such as before the word however. <laughs> 
Thank you for joining us once again on the Dusty Pages podcast and learning punctuation for shorthand reporters. Now get out to your courtrooms and take those notes. I'll be the judge of that. Oh. <laughs> All right. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.